All right. We're going to use uh, all kinds of scriptures, so just flop your Bible anywhere, and we're going to give you the scriptures. The message this morning is entitled, What About Water Baptism? If you would um, talk to Christians um, about water baptism, various denominations and the movements that come and go, you would be shocked at the, um, um, the answers that would be given, and they would be given as what the Bible teaches. Now, some believe that their baptism in water guarantees their entrance into heaven. This is foolishness. It has nothing to do with faith. Any more than you ask somebody, are you Christian? Yeah, I'm an American. Well, one doesn't mean the other one's automatic. Then there are others who believe that infant baptism is necessary to take away what they call original sin. Now, I was born and raised a Catholic as far as by name. And when I was a baby, they sprinkled me in Mexico City. Uh, but nobody preached the gospel to me. I had no way to repent. I had no way to make that decision. I just got sprinkled. Um, but that doesn't um, bring about any cleansing at all. Water takes away no sin. If you use some soap, it might take away some dirt, but uh, not sin. And still there's others who believe that if you're not baptized in water right after you're saved, that you will not enter heaven. This also is unbiblical. It's an insult to the sufficiency of the atonement of Jesus Christ when he said on the cross, it is finished. And so we'll look at all the dynamics that are involved with water baptism and, and look at some distinctions that are made very clear that are very essential. So let's look at water baptism by observing um, six things that will help us to not only identify what water baptism is, but the distinction between, because there's um, different ways the word is used and different phrases that are used between the spirit and that, so that we're able to distinguish them. Let's begin with first, the first point, what baptism, water baptism, that it was practiced, but it was practiced by the Jews and it was practiced for the Gentile converts. They're the ones who practiced water baptism, but it wasn't for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles who proselyted into the Jewish faith. The um, Gentiles who converted to the Judaism were called proselytes. Um, there were two kinds of proselytes. And again, proselyte, the Old Testament, you have the nation of Israel, and God saved them. And, and they were to be a witness and a light to the nations. And those nations, they were to be a witness, so they would come into the nation, become proselytes, okay? So you call that centripetal. Uh, they come in. We, the church, are centrifugal. We go out. You know, you get on a merry-go-round going like that, the G-forces throw you out. Centrifugal force, okay? So, Old Testament, centripetal. They come in. Okay, this was a witness of the Jews. And so you have two kinds of proselytes. The proselytes that were called God-fearers. And these were the ones that embraced the law, the dietary law, the ritual, the ceremony, and all that. But they did not submit themselves, the males did not submit themselves to circumcision. Okay, they only embraced the law. Then there was the proselytes of the gate, and these were those who not only embraced the Jewish law, and the rituals, the dietary law, and everything else, but they also went as far as being circumcised. 
So those were the two types of proselytes. Now the Gentile proselytes would be baptized in water. The word baptism means immersion or submersion. That's the definition of the word, okay? We can't change it. It does not mean sprinkling. It does not mean uh, pouring water over your head or on your head. It means to be completely immersed and enveloped by water. If I take a glass of water and I fill it to the brim, it is full and filled to the brim, but it's not baptized. If I take that glass and stick it in the sink under the water, now it's baptized. It's enveloped, it's submerged with water. That's what the word means. Now the word appears in different forms. The noun form for baptism found 22 times in the New Testament. And the word baptized, the verb form, eight times. And baptized, 49 times. But they all mean the same thing. One noun, two verbs. Now, the Jews, on the other hand, were sons of Abraham. Through the covenant that God had made with Abraham to give them a land. And he sealed it by the covenant of circumcision. This he gave in Genesis 15, 18. 17 for it's progressive because he keeps enlarging the covenant and it's interpreted for us in Romans 4:11. So they were the nation of God, the people of God, the witness of God and the heirs by God's promises. You remember that Abraham and Sarah they got into this little conference and they thought they'd help God out, right? And so they figure, you know, we've been trying a long time, no babies. It must be that God wants to use Hagar. And poor Abraham, he was such a good sport, he just died to self and went for it. And um, the result was an Ishmaelite. Because they worked and depended on the energy of their flesh. God had Isaac in mind, in his timing. You don't want to have any Ishmaels in your life. Works of the flesh. Though God can forgive us, they don't always go away. Very, very important. And so, trying to think they could help God out, it was totally contrary to His promises and His timing. And Paul the Apostle speaks about the circumcision, the covenant circumcision in Romans 4.11, that it was the seal of the covenant of righteousness, of faith, believing God, all right? Believing that they were to produce a son through their own natural means, the work of the flesh, just by having sex with this woman and producing a child. God calls Abraham to be circumcised as well as all his descendants by the very organ that became the stumbling block. You cannot begin in the spirit and finish in the flesh. You'll never perfect the spirit in the flesh. Flesh equals flesh. And more flesh brings more destruction. You know that. I know that. We've lived long enough in the world. If you don't know the Lord this morning, then you don't understand what I'm talking about. Because that's just where you live. I used to live there also. And you just figure, you know, life is life and you just got to tough it up and work your way through and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. 
But the longer you try, the more trouble you get in. So water baptism was a practice of the Jew for the Gentile converts, not for the Jews. Secondly, water baptism was preached by John the Baptist. So, you have 400 years of silence. Malachi, the last prophet. John the Baptist opens up the New Testament. 400 years of silence. No known prophet was alive prophesying under the inspiration of the Spirit of God during those 400 years. Now, there's what's called the apocryphal books, 13, 14 books of the Old Testament that the Catholic Church puts between Malachi and Matthew. Those books are historical books, the Maccabeans and the revolt and the cleansing of the temple and all that, and Tobit and all the others, but they're not inspired. So some of them contradict the word of God. But the biggest thing in importance is this. Think with me, okay? Last prophet, Malachi. 400 years silence. Who was the Old Testament given to the revelation of the prophets and history and the law? The Jews, right? Now, there's 400 years of silence. They didn't recognize those apocryphal books. If anybody's going to put a stamp on those 14 books, it would have to be Israel, right? They reject them. Who accepts them? The Catholic Church, which is 312 by Constantine. So you're talking about 700-year difference. There's no qualification for those books at all. And so... John was commissioned by God to baptize. He opens up the New Testament with the proclamation of a baptism unto repentance. John was the prophetic messenger as the precursor or the forerunner of the Messiah. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi finishes with repentance and the announcement of Messiah and the forerunner coming also. That's how it opens up. John was told by God the Father that he would baptize Jesus, the Messiah. Give him a sign of the dove descending upon him as a confirmation of his person. Listen carefully in the Gospel of John. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he, Jesus, or he the Spirit, remained on him, Jesus. I did not know him, Jesus, but he who sent me, the Father, to baptize with water, said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and retaining or remaining on him, this is he who baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you realize John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, six months older, Mary, Elizabeth, relatives, and John did not know that his cousin Jesus was the Messiah until the father said, I want you to baptize this guy when he's going to come to you. I'm going to mark him for you. The Spirit's going to descend upon him. Zapple, he's Messiah. Wow. John was called the Baptist due to the fact of his commission by God to baptize sinners unto repentance. All right? Now, John baptized unto repentance in view of the coming Messiah. He came from the wilderness preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, we are told in Mark 
1.4. Some of you were with us in Israel. We went down to the Judean wilderness down there by where John the Baptist, uh, down by the Dead Sea there. And uh, just as wide as the river there is as wide as this first 10, 15 chairs. And um, on the other side is Jordan. <laughs> and the river of Jordan sometimes is that wide, sometimes a little wider. It's muddy. It's not a, a very clean river, at least downstream. Now, he went into all the regions around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Again, Luke 3, 3 tells us, and he baptized those coming from Jerusalem, tax collectors, and justify God in doing that, we are told in Luke seven twenty nine. So this was what God required as he opens up the New Testament in fulfillment of the prophecies of the old after the 400-year silence. Now, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 8, now you remember Matthew is talking to Jews. He writes his gospel, he's talking to the Jews. So he uses Jewish customs, Jewish words, and the key thing is this is done in fulfillment of all right? His audience is Jewish. And in Matthew 3, 7 through 8, he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were Jews and the religious leaders, that they were a brood of vipers. Now, people think I'm bad. I'm a lightweight compared to John the Baptist and Jesus and Paul. Trust me. They probably were expecting some kind of great reception. And John the Baptist just called them out. This is what's wrong with our nation today. We don't have John the Baptist. We have a bunch of whiners and complicit people. That's why they killed two more officers in New Orleans this morning. Shame on us. This nonsense has to stop sooner or later. John the Baptist didn't play games. Brood of vipers. The Pharisees, which means separated ones, were the ritualists and hypocrites. In fact, hypocrisy was synonymous with who they were. The Sadducees, which means the righteous, were the rationalists, the materialists, who did not believe in resurrection, in spirit, or in angels. Acts 23, 8 tells us. Now, stop and think about it. Sadducees and Pharisees comprised the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. Here you have one part, the Pharisees who are hypocrites, who lay the law on everybody, but they don't obey the law themselves. Then you have the rationalists, the materialists, which are the wealthy priestly kind that live in the upper cities. Again, you were in Israel, you know that upper city portion from the temple. Okay? And they don't believe in spirits or angels or resurrection. And they comprise the Supreme Court. Kind of sounds like our House and our Congress and, and our President in Washington, right? It's amazing. What a contradiction to our Constitution. What a contradiction it was to the law they were proclaiming. Same thing. No different. Now, he asked them if who had warned them to flee from the wrath to come there in Matthew 3, 7. Confirming the lost condition, affirming their greater judgment. Now, John is not saying that just to make them feel bad, just to embarrass them, just to humiliate them. John is proclaiming repentance to them, their need of repentance. Now, some people, you know, they're, they're so-so, and, you know, you get to share the gospel with them, kind of mellow, kind of, there's no, 
urgency or not. You know, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's some people that God's going to bring to you, and they're just rotten. I mean, they're just bad people. And some of them are even friends of yours sometimes, sometimes relatives. And your warning to them is more sharper because you know the urgency. But the motive, again, is love, right? He told them they had to bear fruit worthy of repentance in Matthew 3, 8. They had to repent of their sins. They had to have a change of heart and life. This is the whole meaning of repentance. There's a transformation that goes on. It's not just a religious commitment. It's just not religious ceremony that goes on. But transformation happens in your mind, in your heart, and in your life. Still in Matthew 3, verse 9 through 10, John gave them a stern warning about the judgment to come. He told them not to trust in the fact that they were children of Abraham. There in verse 9, God has no grandchildren, only sons and daughters. God does not approve of nepotism. It's a curse of the ministry where a pastor gives his ministry to his son or his family. It becomes a business. Now, if God calls the individuals, fine. We see that in Scripture. But how much nepotism goes on under the name of God's will? And all it is is just a business like anything else. God help that person, that pastor, that family. He told them that God was able to raise up children of Abraham from the very stones. Creation cries out for God. Creation obeys God. Man is the rebel against God. He told them that even now the axe was laid to the root of the tree, meaning judgment. You see, they were living contrary to the law. Willfully, purposely, they had the law. They were living in sin, corrupting the word of God. They would sidestep the word rationalize it. This is something that constantly is the nature of man. That's why we need to be born again so that we can renew our conscience because from creation, conscience, and history, we're without excuse. And then special revelation, the word of God, it makes us alive. Now our conscience gets recalibrated by the word of God. We're a new creation. Notice he told them in verse 10 that every tree that did not bear fruit would be cut down and cast into the fire. God trims his trees to bear much fruit by abiding in him. Jesus said that in John 15. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he goes from the illustration of the palm tree to individuals. And he goes from cutting the palm trees to cutting off individuals. By the way, the audience in John 15 is his disciples, not non-believers. Make a very clear study of that. God cuts down those trees that do not abide in him and who do not belong to him. Judgment. God was calling sinners to be baptized unto the repentance of sin. You see, if you're here 
and you don't know Jesus Christ, then the Bible says the wrath of God abides in you. We don't say this licking our chops or thinking we're better. It's a proclamation of our warning to you out of love. Jesus said this in John 3.36, He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him. Now you, have, you want to charge Jesus with being mean, cruel? No. He loves you, that's why he declared it. That you might flee the wrath to come. Water baptism was preached by John the Baptist. That's how it opens up the New Testament. Now thirdly, water baptism is distinguished from the baptism of the Spirit. We don't want to get sidetracked, but we do want to make a clear distinction here because it's confused by some and even a great part of the church does not even believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, John clearly declared the inferiority of himself and the superiority of Jesus in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all through there. Um, John baptized in water, so the element was water that he was putting people under. Jesus was the one among them whose shoelaces he was not worthy to loosen. And he, Jesus, would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he shows the inferior baptism of water to the superior of the baptism of the Spirit. John baptized in water. Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay? Very clear distinction. John the man baptized many. Jesus never baptized one person in water. John 4.2 tells us to go out of his way to keep it clear and to keep it unconfused that men can baptize others in water, but only Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit in fire. Very, very, very clear. Jesus, the God-man, baptizes in the Spirit. It's called the baptism. We'll move through. There's different phrases, about seven of them. The Epi experience, uh, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, the baptism of the Spirit, the Spirit just fell, different phrases. We've gone through that in the book of Acts. Now, the baptism of water is inferior to the baptism of the Spirit then. John, in Matthew 3, 11, it says, again, I'll repeat it again. I indeed baptize you, John speaking, with water unto repentance. But he, Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, that Holy Spirit and fire is not so much what you hear of the Pentecostal movement, the fire of God, and, you know, it's all emotion, you know. It's, if there's no perspiration, they don't think there's any anointing, okay? And so the fire is a person who's born again. The Holy Spirit is baptized with the Holy Spirit for empowerment, as we'll see. And the fire is it refines you. The Holy Spirit is continually refining your life as a believer. In that context, it's not judgment because... When you're born again, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And then there's the baptism, which continues to refine and to purge your life. You understand? All this flesh to do away with it from day to day. Now, the baptism in water is a ritual or sacrament that affirms salvation and not the process of actual salvation. Okay? It's a ritual, a sacrament. Now, the baptism of water was 
an initiatory right to be incorporated into the body of the church, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So, if I talk to you or you come up today, we're going to go to the park and you come out, we're going to baptize and, 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 and you give me your name and, and, and you tell me you're a Christian and I dunk you along with Fernando or Mario, whoever's baptizing with me, okay? And you come up out of the water. Now, but you're not a Christian. When you come up out of the water, you're just a wet sinner. Now, water doesn't make you a Christian. You can tell me you're a Christian, but if you're not a Christian, you're just a wet sinner. All right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is superior in that Jesus alone baptizes men and women. In fact, Jesus uses that phrase, which many people object to, but I don't. I use it all the time. He says, you will be baptized not many days from now with the Spirit, Acts 1.5. Okay? It's one of about seven or eight phrases synonymous with the promise of on high, the promise of the Father, the appeal experience, the Spirit fell upon them, all of those. Now, if you remember the Ephesian disciples in Acts 19, verse 4 through 5, they had been baptized in water unto John's baptism. Um, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied in Acts 19, 4 through 5. All right? So they had been water baptized unto John, but then Paul baptized them in the name of Jesus, and then as he laid hands, the Spirit fell upon them or baptized them. Now, when they spoke in tongues and prophecy... The gifts of the Spirit at times are manifested with the baptism. But no one gift is the baptism. Very clear when we study the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, if you come out of Assembly of God, Foursquare, or Pentecostal movement, you know what they teach. They teach that if you don't speak in tongues, you have not received the baptism. That's what they teach. And they equate the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. Let me debunk that right now. That's absolutely foolish and unbiblical. Paul says when he speaks about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he names them all. 13, he gives love. 14, he deals with the three problematic gifts. Tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. As he closes chapter 14, he uses some rhetorical questions which have the same answer. Listen carefully. Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all have the gift of teaching? No. And he goes on and on. It's all no. Then he says, do all speak in tongues? Yes? No. So how in the world can you teach that everybody has to and must speak in tongues when not everybody is given that gift and it's the least of the gifts unless it's interpreted. It's again, it's not my opinion. It's what does the Bible teach? That's very important. So, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for empowerment through Jesus and is distinct from the fruit of the Spirit also. In Luke 24:49 in Acts 1:8 Jesus says, "Tarry in Jerusalem till you do with power from on high." 
The disciples were told by Jesus to wait there because the day of Pentecost was going to come. The disciples were told by Jesus that they were going to be witnesses, listen, to him in Jerusalem or Judea and the uttermost parts of the world. There's a difference between being a witness for Jesus on the horizontal level and a witness to Jesus. Acts 1.8 is to Jesus. In other words, Jesus looks down and he knows if I'm being a witness, a Christian living for him. And then my witness for him is more effective. But let's just say that I'm not being a witness and God brings a non-believer and I share the gospel with him. God honors his word above his name. He'll still use it to save that person even though I'm not being a witness to him. Only for him. Are we clear on that? All right? But Acts 1.8 is a witness to him. As he looks on your life and he sees you walking in the spirit, loving him, desiring his will, pursuing him. That's what it's about. Empowerment. The Bible calls agape love the fruit of the spirit. You know Galatians 5.22, right? Now, it's in the singular. The fruit of the spirit. Agape. Everything that follows agape love are manifestations of agape love. Many people teach the eight fruits of the spirit. Absolutely unbiblical. In the Greek, it's singular. Now, Even within Calvary chapels, at times it was taught that agape love and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are synonymous. Or that the baptism is evidenced by agape love. I disagree with that. I do not believe that. Listen carefully. The baptism we said in Acts 1.8 is for empowerment to be a witness to Jesus, right? Agape love is called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the motive for my doing things. Love for God and love for people. The empowerment is to give me the ability to do what God desires of me. Is that clear? You must make a distinction between the baptism, the empowerment, and the motivation of agape love. You can't make them the same. Absolutely different. And so water baptism is distinguished from the baptism of the Spirit very, very clear. And that's a very important distinction because many people in Christ and in the church deny what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that isn't just one time. They were baptized in the day of Pentecost. They were baptized in the next chapter and out of time. We need it on. Ephesians 5.18, keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit of God. That's another synonymous term for the baptism, being filled with the Spirit of God. I need it every day. It's kind of like our cars. We have to keep adding gas to it, right? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great you only go one time to the gas station? That'd be great. Now, I don't mean to imply that the Holy Spirit leaks out. <laughs> I'm implying that I have to keep dependence on Him. Any illustration will break down if you push it too far. Now, Fourthly, water baptism was preached and practiced by the disciples and apostles of Jesus then. Now the timeline has changed. We're going forward. Linear, chronological time. The baptism of water was now practiced that followed conversion. At Pentecost, it says in Acts 2.38, Then Peter said to them, Repent 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now the atoning work has been completed on the cross. Jesus risen from the dead. He is the right hand of the Father. Now the gospel is preached, and those who respond to the preaching of the gospel ask forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit is given to them. Okay? And then what's going to follow is water baptism. You remember Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 36, and 37. Philip was at the um, Samaritan revival that was going on. God was doing a great work, and God said, hey, listen, I got a guy out there in the desert. Go out there and check him out. He's reading Isaiah. Well, who is this man speaking about, himself or another? And he jumped up, and he began to preach Jesus on him. And as they're going down the road, in verse 36 and 37 of Acts 8, it says, Now as they went down the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, don't as I said proselytes were water baptized? This guy was a proselyte of the Jewish faith. He understands? That's who it was for. Okay? And he says, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In that phrase, he's saying, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus paid for my sin. I repent of my sin. I want to accept him as my Lord and Savior. Now, he baptized him. The rest of the verses tell us that. Philip took him down, baptized him, and the Spirit of God raptured, if you will. The same word as for the rapture in Thessalonians. Harpossled. Miraculously, suddenly, violently took Philip from the desert in that water to the city of Azotus. And he never saw the eunuch again. Same word for the rapture. So you see the eunuch being baptized. After repentance now. Alright? Now, when were his sins forgiven? When he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Or when he came out of the water? When he said, I believe in the Son of God. That's when he was saved. Now, at the house of Cornelius in Acts 10.37, as you know, God was opening up the door for the Gentiles. Peter's up at the house of Joppa. He's kind of hungry. It's lunchtime. They're fixing dinner. He's thinking of this, and God lets down a, a big curtain of all un, unclean animals, and Jesus says, take, kill, and eat, and Peter says, not so, Lord, which he should never say. Uh, Lord and no cannot be in the same sentence. And, um, and of course, the Lord was showing them that he was opening the door to the Gentiles, and he tells Peter, listen, a couple of guys are going to come and check you out. They're going to call for you. Go with them, doubting nothing, and I'll give you the rest of the message you go along. And when he gets to the house of Cornelius, um, Cornelius comes out to Peter and he bows to him and Peter says, get up, I'm a man like you. Peter didn't say, I'm the Pope, kiss my ring. <laughs> By the way, if Peter was the first Pope, he would have to be about 350 years old because the Catholic Church didn't begin to 312. Another problem. Okay? And as he's preaching the gospel, 
God had the nerve to save them before he had an altar call. <laughs> and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And then they were water baptized. Wow. At the house of Cornelius, Peter says, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we, the Jews, have? Acts 10.37. Because of the prejudice of the Gentile, right? What's Ephesians? Jew, Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. No distinction anymore. Broken down every wall of partition. Often people ask me, what kind of church do you have? You have a lot of Mexicans in there? What's it? I don't ever look at people. Are you Mexican? Are you black? I just look at sinners. That's it. This whole cultural thing. And church, you know how hard churches are working to get a certain percentage of black people and Mexican people and this and that. And, 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 and they carry it over to the, the new political correctness of homosexuality and lesbianism and everything else. They want to have just a smorgasbord of thing to please men. But the angels throw up. I don't go fishing for black people or Mexicans or, or, or Asians. I, I just cast out my net, preach the gospel, and whoever God saves, he cleans the fish and they never stink. I don't save anybody. Do we have it backwards or what? Wow. They have repented of their sins in the name of Jesus. They identified themselves with Christ. They had left their old lifestyle now and made a complete turnaround, just like many of you have, as I have 42 years ago. Now, that is why we don't baptize infants, because they cannot repent. They need to be old enough to hear the gospel. And sometimes the parents and adults, they want their children baptized because they come out of things like Catholicism or whatever it is, you know, and kind of just prod them to do that. And we make sure we talk to the kids that are old enough, whatever age of knowledge is, seven, eight, nine, depending who they are, that they are born again. If they're born again, we'll dunk them. But we don't want to just trust in that water baptism. Okay? So we make sure that people are born again before we baptize them in water. Their own confession from their own mouth. That they have accepted Christ Jesus. The baptism of John was inferior to the baptism of water after the death of Jesus because it was in fulfillment of the fact, no longer future. So now that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and finished the atonement, now people get saved through the proclamation of the gospel, then get water baptized, and they receive the Spirit of God, and then there's the baptism. You remember that Apollos was instructed in the more perfect way by Achilles and Priscilla in Acts 18.25. He only knew the baptism of John the more perfect way. Paul asked the disciples at Ephesus in, Ephesus, uh, in, in Acts, I'm sorry, at Ephesus in Acts 19, 4-5, he says, um, Indeed, John's baptism, um, they said, Unto what were you baptized? He said, Indeed, unto John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, 
on Christ Jesus. And then they heard this and they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in water again. All right? So the baptism of John was looking to the Messiah. Once the Messiah has come and paid the price, now people are water baptized in the name of Jesus. All right? You see the the change, the transition. And so water baptism was preached by the disciples and practiced as well as the apostles of Jesus Christ. Fifthly, the water baptism was and is a symbol then of the reality of salvation as we look to all these texts. Paul tells us that it is a symbol of death in Romans chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. We are buried with Jesus through baptism into death, verse 4 says. So, people are going to walk out to the pool and their backs to the world. We're going to turn them around and we're going to let them pinch their nose if they want. And then we're going to take them under the water, a symbol of death coming up in the newness of life. Now, that person's already saved. When I bring him up out of the water, he's not really, really saved. He's just declaring he's saved to those witnesses around him. It's like your birth certificate, right? When you were born, they gave you a birth certificate, at least your parents. And if you ever lose your birth certificate, does that mean you weren't ever born? Of course not. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know how true it is. I heard that now hospitals aren't giving birth certificates. They're giving you just a chip thing so you can make a copy and send in or some kind of document so that now you have to pay for down the hall record, something like that. So much for progress, more money. Um, but if you lose your birth certificate, that doesn't mean you weren't born. So let's just say you never got water baptized for whatever reason. Will you enter heaven? Well, we're going to end up the sermon by the answer being yes. Because you're saved by grace through faith, that not ourselves the gift to God by the atoning work that's sufficient upon the cross. It is finished, right? Simple. I have a ring on my left hand. Not this one. This one. This one says I'm married. If I take it off, does that mean I'm not married? I'm still married. All right? This just tells you I'm married. This says hands off. From this side and the other side. All right? That's what it says. And so we're to walk in the newness of life just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Romans 6, 4 says, We're united together with Jesus in the likeness of his death, even so we'll be united together with him in the likeness of his resurrection, verse 5 says. So, symbolically, going underwater, dead, coming up the newness of life. But you're already born again. It's a public proclamation of what has happened in your heart already. So we are empowered to live the life of sin by the new birth. Romans, again, 6, verse 6 through 7. The old man is crucified with him. So daily you and I, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God, have to reckon the old man dead in Galatians 5, 17. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. You cannot do that which you wish, right? But there's two natures. It's a warfare going on. I got the old Xavier, I got the new Xavier. And they're at odds. But the new Xavier can trump the old Xavier. Okay? I can say no to the old Xavier if I want to. If I want the old Xavier to live, I can allow him. 
I've been born again 42 years. I'm as funky right now as I was back then. Trust me. I'm a great sinner. You want to go sin? Let's go. But I have the ability not to sin. Never perfect. So when I fail, it's because I've chosen to fail. Okay? I can't make no name excuses. Very important. And so, the meaning of crucifixion is to be that of death. To put the old man out of business. I don't want to do business with old Xavier. He's not trustworthy. He's not a very nice guy. You don't want to be throwing the old man chunks of meat to keep him alive. Oh, poor guy. Look, he's getting faint. Good. Kill him. The statement implies human responsibility in view of the divine accomplishment. The purpose being that we not only continue to be slaves of sin, that we cut it off. Verse 6 tells of Romans 6. The reason is that we have been freed from being slaves or in slavery to sin and sin nature. Verse 7 tells us. The end of the old life of sin, the end of yielding to sin nature, and the ability is by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, by the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's the incredible advantage that you and I have. And those of you who are walking with God know what it is to live without Christ and to live in Christ, night and day. And when you live abundantly, all you can do is give the glory to God, completely. Because you know it's him, no one else. And so the ritual of water baptism is used in the New Testament to indicate two things. First, identity with Christ and unity with Christ. So you're incorporated to the body of Jesus Christ. But if you're not born again and I water baptize you, you're not a Christian. You're not part of the church. Unless you're born again first. Peter tells us in um, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22... That it is a figure compared to the Noah flood. The illustration is that the flood was a type of baptism of the eight souls who were saved by entering the ark. Which was evidence of the faith in what God had revealed. And after death, they went to Sheol waiting for Jesus Christ to arrive. So they believed the revelation that God was going to destroy the whole world. And they stepped into the boat. The application is that as they believe God by faith and acted on his revelation, so water baptism is the anti-type, the fulfillment, but not the removal of the filth of the flesh, he says, but an answer to good conscience through the efficiency to be saved through the resurrection. He makes very clear, but not the putting away the filth of the flesh. Again, if you use soap, you might get some dirt off. But water removes no sin. Water baptism only confesses publicly what has happened in your heart already. And we trust you that that witness is true. We rejoice with you. We celebrate with you. (laughs) The proclamation being that Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God now. Angels and authorities and powers haven't been made subject to him, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 22. Wow. 
So water baptism was and is a symbol of the reality of salvation. The evidence is that the old man is put to death continuously. The new man lives through the power of the Spirit of God. But lastly, we have water baptism then that should not be required for salvation in view of all that we've examined. It is very clear through Scripture that water, water baptism is not required for salvation. Now, having said that, we should be water baptized. We practice it. We teach it. But if for whatever reason, lack of opportunity or shortness of time as you're born again and you die in an accident, you're going you're gonna to get in heaven because of what Jesus said on the cross, not the water. A man and woman is saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves against the gift of God. And we can't boast about it. Galatians 2, 8, 9. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved. Faith is God's enabling to believe what he has declared. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. That's why it's important that when you come to church from this pulpit, you hear the word of God. You don't need to hear me. You need to hear the word of God. You don't need to hear what I believe, what I think. You need to hear the word of God. And you need to examine when I'm teaching and preaching whether I'm on target in context. Okay? You are responsible for your salvation to make sure that you're not getting Sinai over the pulpit. All right? Or just mud and, 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 and everything else that you get in the Word of God. Now, a man and a woman's salvation is completely a work of God by the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross then. Whoever believes on the gift of God, declared in John three sixteen is saved on what Jesus did. Whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13 says. Whoever comes through the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, is saved. The one who believes the word of God that was stated from the cross by the words of Jesus, it is finished, is saved, John nineteen thirty. Whoever believes in the only name that must be saved, Jesus Christ, is saved, Acts four twelve. The one who believes the proclamation of Jesus on the way, the truth, the life, no man can defile by me, is saved by Jesus Christ. It's him and him alone. You cannot make the way broader than the Bible declares. Now, every believer should be water baptized, as I said, in obedience to the words of Jesus of the Great Commission. But if one isn't due to time or whatever you're still saved you're going to get into heaven but certainly if you are water baptized it is not an addition or completion or a supplement to salvation is that clear very very important i'm being very deliberate this morning so you understand it clearly paul declared this that he thanked God that he had baptized no one except Crispus and Gaius in the house of Stephanus, lest some Corinthians would make him a party split of Christ, for God had not called them to baptize, but to preach. 1 Corinthians 1, 14 through 17. Paul said this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect, 1 Corinthians one seventeen. Paul recognized that the water baptism is to be done in obedience to Christ. It did not affect the work of Christ on the cross. 
It did not add. It did not supplement. It did not complete. Whichever word you want to use. Otherwise, the words of Paul, when he said this to the Corinthians, God did not send me to baptize, but to preach. If water baptism is required, then he would be speaking blasphemous, right? It would be blasphemy. The best way to affirm this is the thieves on the cross. As you know, both of them were reviling and cursing Jesus. And then there was a change of heart and mind by the one. And the one turned to the other and says, you know, you and I, we deserve this that we've got. We're criminals. But this man has done nothing amiss. In other words, he doesn't deserve this. He turned to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, today... You will be with me in paradise. Now, if water baptism is required, can you imagine Jesus hanging there saying to the centurion, hey, listen, you know, I just told this guy that I'll save him. Could you please go down there, dunk him, and get him up here again? People say, oh, no, 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 but that's Old Testament. Really? The New Testament began with John the Baptist. Which way you want it? You can't have it both ways. It's real simple. In him you're complete. In him dwells the sum total of deity. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Wow. Water baptism should not be required for salvation then. Yet, it should be practiced by the church. And so, I pray that these six things have um, helped you to understand in a better way what water baptism is. And what water baptism does not mean. So that you can give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear. According to 1 Peter 3.15. This is what we're to do. That's why we study. So when people ask us questions, we can give them the biblical answer. Not our opinion. Now there's a few things that people say, well how about this? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. People are shocked when I say I don't know. The Bible doesn't say nothing about that. I don't know. We'll ask them together. No big deal. But don't go make stuff up like politicians. Water baptism was practiced by the Jews for the Gentile converts, not the Jews. Water baptism was preached by John the Baptist. The 400 years of silence broken. Water baptism is distinguished from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Very important that you understand that. Water baptism was preached and practiced by the disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ. Water baptism was and is a symbol of the reality of salvation, a type of death. Water baptism should not be required for salvation, but it should be practiced by the church. God is so good to give us these answers. There's no reason for us not to have clear Answers for those who ask the questions about the things of God. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness, your love. We thank you, Lord. Pray for every person here, Lord, and for your grace over their life and my own. And Lord, we are so thankful. There are no words to express our gratitude, Lord, and your goodness to us, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. 
Once again, the priority is repentance, that you acknowledge your sinfulness. Sin separates you from God, his wrath upon you. But if you believe he died for you on the cross, rose from the dead, then he's able to save you. You call upon him and he will forgive you. He'll give you a new heart, a new mind, a new nature. He will turn your life around. But it's important that you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so you